Hello and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. I'm Neve Brannigan and I'm joined by Jerry Maguire. Happy New Year, listeners. This is our first episode of 2023. How was your festive break, Jerry? It was nice and relaxing, Neve. Happy New Year to you too. Um, I spent my Christmas and New Year in Fermanagh, as I normally do. I spent about 10 years there, trying not to fall out with everyone. Um, <laughs> <do>. <laughs> but yeah, it was nice. it was good. It was nice and relaxing. Thankfully, we escaped the like the lurgy that everyone seemed to have. Um, oh, you are so lucky because I did oh, not. Oh, did you? Yeah. And even even though I was really sick, I, I still didn't get to watch half as much Christmas films as I would have liked. Oh, uh, what I still a ended up being really busy and still doing loads of family things and I think just ignoring the fact I was sick I feel like a lot of people did that it's like I'm not sick while they're coughing up their lungs yeah because everyone's just so afraid of you know um kind of retreating back um but yeah unfortunately I was quite sick but in saying that the stuff that I did get to watch um over the break was all very satisfying I got to watch King Richard um which is such a great movie but I mean ruined with Will Smith every time I look at him now I'm just like oh god you're such a dick and yeah he's that guy uh, I watched three billboards again because I just think it's oh, mm. it's just Great so film. good so Great so good um, I got to watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, which was beautiful um, and then also another beautiful one was The Wonder as well which oh um, wow yeah, we were and we were saying earlier the soundtrack and that was just oh, yeah. fab. Two what? contemporary American stories and two European costume dramas. No, I, mm. oh, I didn't even think about that. Look at me. Look at, um, look look at me. And uh, what about you? What did you get to watch over the break? The main thing that I watched, so my sister was over um, and she logged us into her Disney Plus account, which was great. So I rinsed through uh, Andor, the Star Wars story on Disney Plus, which I really enjoyed. Like it was, I think Andor is one of those Star Wars stories that doesn't, it it doesn't have to be a Star Wars thing. It's just set in that universe, you know, Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. but really great performances from Fiona Shaw, who pops up really early on in it. She's like this rebel matriarch character who disappears for a while and comes back at the end of the series gives a real rousing speech which sort of sets a load of stuff up for season two and i was watching it and this kind of body character appeared for a while and i couldn't figure out who it was and then realized it's denise goff who is a brilliant actress she's been in mm. loads of great stuff she was in a really exciting horror film um, last year or the year before called Martyrs Lane, which mm-hmm. I worked with her on. And uh, ah. she feels she's like she feels like she's going to be a super important character in season two. There's like a lot more going on under the surface of that character than than they've explored so far. I'm always so excited to see Denise Goff work. I just think she's mm. uh, she's such an exciting actor to watch. Totally, um, she's yeah. just class. So, yeah. so good. Um, and yeah, one thing that we both need to catch up on, I don't know if any of our listeners have watched it, is the Vardy versus Rooney. Oh my gosh, yeah. That, I didn't get to see that. Uh, I think it came out just before Christmas, actually, or maybe mm. like, yeah, sometime in December. But yeah, I think that was Julie Ryan of MK1 produced that and Una Kearney directed. But yeah, mm. I really I really want to see that. It's really fun to see, to see those girls working on um, like a big Channel 4 kind of thing about a case that everyone knows and yeah Wagatha 
That's very so iconic, very iconic. Yeah. But it has, it's been, we were saying it's just been a bit gross, just kind of getting back into oh the swing of things and routine and work and everything. So I think it is always nice to maybe try and build up a list of TV shows and films to kind of have your evenings yeah. and you oh, know, totally. ease yourself back into everything. Yeah. Give yourself a reward. I mean, like full respect to everyone who's gone back to work this week and all your efforts well, as you settle back into things. We we see you. We feel your exactly. pain. We feel your pain. Well, one thing you are definitely not making it easy on yourself because you're doing dry January. <laughs> I don't know why you're doing doing it to yourself, Jerry. Do you have to talk about this every time I remember <laughs> about it? Um, Welcome yeah. to AA. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Hello, my name is Jerry, and I've been sober for eleven days now. Um, you, no, but in right. all seriousness, I was either going to do dry January or v- what's it called, Veganuary. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not self-flagellating necessarily. I just like I do. Tend- I feel like one will save you money, and the other it will be more expensive. <laughs> So. Yeah, possibly, but I'm not sure which because actually what if so I chose the dry January option and actually what I've found is that I'm just eating a lot more to compensate for the boredom of not having a drink. But no, the first weekend was dire, especially because it was my first weekend after coming back from Ireland and just hoofing port and mulled wine mm-hmm. and stuff into me every evening. But um, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not too bad now. Well, if any of our listeners are also doing dry January, you're not alone. Jerry's with you. I'm absolutely not, but uh, I support you guys from the sideline. Yeah, yeah. So, I, mean, I, don't, I don't support anyone to do dry January. I think it's too much pain, <laughs> but, you know, fair play to us all for trying. Do you okay. do any New Year's resolutions, Steve? I always struggle with New Year's resolutions. Um, I just think there's just so much pressure. Uh, mm. You put so much pressure on yourself. So I kind of weirdly find... Um, that I kind of do my reset in September time. Maybe okay. that's because I'm still a child um, <laughs> and I'm still in the school term in my head. But oh, yeah, right. I think kind of the the change in seasons um, kind of, I'm like, okay, right, we're going into winter now. What are we doing? Um, and January, as we said, like, it's January's hard enough, you know? Yeah. Give fair. yourself a break ease back into it if you're not in the gym as much as you want to you got the whole year ahead of you it's all okay what about you you any uh, resolutions i think that's really really good advice um i don't normally do new year's resolutions no um because i do recognize that i can be very hard on myself if i if i Mm. do them and i think i think that new new year's resolutions are kind of destined to fail for the most Mm -hmm. part like i've never been someone who went to the gym so that's not a thing for me um mm-hmm. i've never been somebody who's like this year i'm going to read a hundred books or something like that yeah i just it for me a new year's resolution is normally it's more like a reflection point it's like yeah look at some let's be thankful for the things that i have done this last year and the things that i have to look forward to and try to be less shitty to people in my life in general that's well I mean yeah that's a good one I think yeah and and everyone's different if it definitely helps you to set goals and all of that kind of stuff for sure it can be a really nice way to give yourself structure and or routine Mm. um but yeah I think it's just uh I think it's you know we just put so much pressure on ourselves anyway we do try not to add to that but um but yeah so into Irish but we we should turn this just into a therapy podcast who needs to learn about new Irish films huh <laughs> I know um, so we do, speaking... we do like a spin-off podcast it's just like <laughs> yeah. you know Talk Irish therapy with Neve and Jerry 
Um, but speaking about Irish films, a fabulous night for uh, the Banshees of Inishirn uh, at the Golden Globes, doing winning three awards for Best Picture, Best Actor, um, who was Colin Farrell, yeah. and Best Screenplay. So yeah. I mean, cleaned, kind of cleaned up there. Did, did you did you see Colin's acceptance speech? I did. I just adore him. I mean, he also is from up the road from me, so like we're basically neighbours. Um, I've always adored him, but he's just so lovely and articulate. And yeah, yeah, he's. No, it was lovely. There's there was a lot of real emotion in what he said, both to Mm. both to um, you know his his cast that were there, and and as well he said something which felt really heartfelt to Anna de Armas, who was presenting the award, and. You know, I think there was a lot of there's a few giggles from the audience, and he said something w- which was really interesting. He said, "You know, you don't have to laugh at that comment. I was being serious, but who am I to?" He had said something along the lines of, "Who am I to to police your judge laughter? what's funny? Yeah, right, to yeah. judge what's funnier than us, which is yeah. interesting because we are only talking about how the fact that Banshees of Inisherin is in the comedy or musical category, and yeah. uh, and." then like Elvis is in the drama category so that, yeah I mean, that's super interesting isn't it like I can kind yeah. of see how Banshees can be seen as a comedy and not a drama because it does have those really dark comedy elements but how can you say that Elvis is anything other than a, a music film like a musical film yeah. <laughs> it should be in the comedy and musical one right but oh it's very strange these, I guess these awards thought, yeah, I guess they thought that they would get a better chance of winning an award in drama. Very true. But I mean, look, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. So Golden Globes <laughs> is done. Yeah. Um, and then um, next out will be the Oscar nominations will be out on the 24th of January. But we do have a mm. short list, which is we looking do. really nice for Irish films as well. Yeah. So we've got The Quiet Girl, obviously. And Colin Kuhn is, uh, if you don't know about that already, then where have you been? It's mm-hmm. up for the international feature category. And when we say it's up for it, it's shortlisted for that category. Um, the final yeah. nominations list is coming out later in January, as you say. Um, Banshees is up for original score and a really lovely thing to see, An Irish Goodbye, which is a short film we had at the festival in November and which has been all over the place, is shortlisted in the international short film category as well. So, you know, congratulations to all of them all already and mm. especially the folks at An Irish Goodbye. That's the kind of thing that you know, being in that short film shortlist and if you do get a nomination for it that's the kind of thing that really makes careers you know we've seen that before absolutely it's the most beautiful short i have to say i think genuinely as well that the episode that we did during the summer when i was chatting about stuff that we saw in galway i think Mm. i said that an irish goodbye was just one of my favorites yeah it's just so so gorgeous. It's really good. Um, and then also the BAFTA long list is also out. Uh huh. So three more nominations there for the Quiet Girl, um, which mm-hmm. I think are Ooh. foreign language film director for Colum and adapted screenplay for Colum as well, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll find out what happens with them in terms of nominations. Uh, I think back end of January as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. always a very exciting time, um, yeah. but tough on tough on the wallet because I yeah. just want to go and see <laughs> it, everything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's actually no, there's... good representation across the BAFTAs 
like long list altogether and we tweeted about this a few days ago so i'll kind of refer back to my tweet but if you're looking for overall irish representation in the baftas long list right you've got paul mescal for after sun you've mm-hmm. got the whole team of banshees of inish Aaron. you've got daryl mccormick for good luck to you leo grande daryl was the recipient of uh, ros hubbard award in november um, so we're really we're really happy to see that. Uh, you've got young Alicia Weir in Matilda the Musical. You've got Saoirse Ronan in See How They Run. You've got uh, everyone from The Wonder. You've got obviously The Quiet Girl. You've got Jesse Buckley in Women Talking. And there's two documentaries there as well. There's Nothing Compares by Catherine Ferguson and The Ghost of Richard Harris. So, you know, alongside The Quiet Girl and An Irish Goodbye, that's like one, two, three, four, five, so it's like 10 or more Irish films or Irish, you know, talents represented. Taken over. Yeah. This is it. Um, and uh, John Carney, a lovely, nice bit of news. Always nice oh, to hear yeah, from John of Carney. Course. Yeah. Um, so. Director of Once and Sing Street is on his way to Sundance mm-hmm. this month as his new film Flora and Son has been selected to have its world premiere in the Utah Festival. Um, with just Gordon Levitt and oh, Jack Rainer's in that as well. Yeah. Always, always nice to hear from John Carney. I think he just makes such gorgeous stuff. So, I think really so. nice. Yeah. Really nice that he's uh, coming out with a new film. Yeah. Also at Sundance, I believe, is Laura McGann's Irish feature documentary, The Deepest Breath. So, that's going to have its premiere at Sundance. That's a Netflix and A24 documentary about a world record freediving attempt. So, congratulations yeah. to Laura. Very, very cool. And Tara O'Callaghan's short film, Call Me Mommy, um, which is produced by our friends at Motherland, too. Yes, that's so also it's a busy Sundance. time. It definitely kind of, I, I remember for a little bit, we were like, oh, there's kind of nothing going on. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> OK, no, 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 we're back. You thought we were asleep, yeah. but yeah, yeah, don't yeah. worry. Don't worry. Peaks and troughs, but mostly peaks this last while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And before we kind of um, touch onto our horror theme, um, tell us about the um, St. Bridget's Day Festival. Right, so that's the next things that we've got coming up at Irish Film London. So our Bridget's Day programme is on sale everywhere now. We've got three days worth of films happening at Riverside Studios in Hammersmith and the Rio in Dalston, all focused on female film from Ireland and Irish filmmakers so we're starting off at riverside on friday the 3rd of february and we are screening the future tense by desperate optimists that's christine malloy and joe lawler if you think that sounds familiar the future tense played at the bfi london film festival in october we don't think it's been seen in the uk since then so it's another chance to see it before its big release which is coming out uh movie has picked that up and visit films are handling um sales for that so come and watch it with us in riverside on the third and i can let you know now that christine and joe are going to come down and do a q a for that that's a brilliant oh, little film brilliant little film um in their sort of standard style of like their acerbic wit for lack Mm -hmm. of a better phrase uh, because they're quite unique in their delivery they're talking about their experiences as Irish immigrants and they're thinking about it from the perspective of their daughter Molly who's now as old as they were when they first moved over so really interesting one Saturday at Riverside Saturday the 4th of February is a Canadian Irish documentary called Only Child and that's super interesting film that we saw in I think Galway last year 
Um, and the director, Andy Amos, is going to join us for, for that screening. So he's coming over from Toronto to join us for the screening. Um, Only Child is about a lady called Maurice. She is a Canadian Irish woman. So she was an adoptee who grew up in Canada. And uh, Maurice went on a journey to try and figure out who her Irish birth family was and Andy mm. followed her and recorded the whole thing. So look, this is basically a documentary about the mother and baby homes, but from the mm-hmm. perspective of an adoptee who's had a full life. And dare I say it, it's actually a documentary about that subject matter that has a happy ending, you know? So it's quite a special yeah. thing, you know? It's it's about a lot of difficult subject matter, but it's a really interesting film to watch. So that's Saturday, the 4th of February at Riverside. Do come and join us for that as well. Then we move over to the Rio on Sunday the 5th for a double bill. We're starting off with a selection of six short films, which are playing at 1.30 p.m., which I will tell you a little bit more about in a second. But then at 3.30 p.m., we are partnering with Bird's Eye View again this year to present a screening of a really special film from this sort of Irish feminist canon, if you like. It's called Hushabye Baby. It's by Margot Harkin, who's also joining us for a director Q&A. And uh, Hushabye Baby is a film that's set during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. It features a young Sinead O'Connor in an acting role. Uh, Mm. But it's it's a film that's really you know it's rare because it's set in 1983 it's not about the troubles you know they're there they're a part of the the fabric of the film but really it's about the 1983 abortion referendum and the reason it exists is to try and humanize a story about uh women's reproductive rights during that period so margo's going to be there for that if you want to come down to the Rio and encourage you to come down at 1.30 p.m. and join us for the short films, which are screening at the same time, there are six of them, and they are Above the Law by Brian E. Dunn, which we screened in November as well at the festival. There's the winner of our short film award at the festival, An Encounter, by director Kelly Campbell. There's a beautiful film called Baths by director Neil Hensey. There is a little film called Ready by the director Emma Wall, which features... I don't know, some girl called Nave, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I think that's supposed to be really, really good. (laughs) Right, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, (laughs) Then there's Wednesday's Child by Laura O'Sullivan and uh, a lovely film that we screened online last year, which we're really happy to bring back to the cinema uh, for an in-person screening called Someday Sadie, and that's by Kate Gilmore. Um, so that's your six films hopefully we can do something um, of a like a live intro or some sort of like talk or something like that about all those short films as well because I know that some people are going to be in London during that during those screenings and that means that basically every event that we're doing for Bridges Day has a live element to it there's a Q&A or a talk or something that's going to happen they are mm-hmm. once again 3rd and 4th of February at Riverside Studios on sale now by the Riverside website and Sunday the 5th of February at the Rio in Dalston on sale via the Rio's website now there's actually a link on the front page of both sites for Irish Film London events and you can click in and buy your tickets right now well done thank you very impressive uh, that just sounds like such a great program I'm very excited and though there'll, there'll be a lot of kind of online content as well won't there oh yeah that's true I should I should yeah. talk about that as well because the shorts are going to be online and yeah you know what we did last year when we were kind of coming back into in-person screenings were kind of not we did uh, an interview 
which we stuck up on the on the shorts program online so if you buy a ticket for the pro for the program online you get access mm -hmm. to this sort of extended q a which we did with all the short filmmakers and we're going to try and do that again this year there's a lot of value in that because you get like you know a full kind of interview session with all these filmmakers yeah. and that proved to be really really popular last year we got a lot of mm -hmm. watches on that and um, we're looking forward to doing that again this year as well so yeah Amazing. online and in person brilliant it's so exciting um so before we move on to our um interview we'd love to get through today well i mean this is the first one back yeah. um 2023 and um, the trailer for evil dead rise oh um, my god came out which <laughs> is right up my street oh my god it just looks amazing yeah i'm um, very very excited for that yeah so yes, uh, Evil Dead Rise is of course by an Irish director, Lee Cronin, which makes us very excited about it, naturally. But you know, there's a few things that are very different about it. In the first instance, it's the first Evil Dead film or TV or anything that doesn't seem to feature Bruce Campbell at all. A brand new cast, brand new sort of start to the franchise, if you like. Uh, Sam mm -hmm. Raimi's exit from it and, and Lee's taking up the helm. So that's really exciting for Lee. But at the same time, You've got to make a splash with an Evil Dead trailer, I think, yeah. or with an Evil Dead film. And straight away, this trailer introduces us to some brand new kitchen-based horror concepts, including so the creative of certain utensils, which I don't know, like, I don't want this to be like Red Banded too much or anything, but if you go, want to go and watch the Red Band trailer and you can find out just exactly which utensils you have to mm. you have to look so, at it's it's so cool taking on kind of such a big franchise like that hopefully we can get Absolutely. Leon uh, to talk about it because I just think that would be so 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 interesting I'd love to speak to Lee here about it yeah absolutely definitely well this week I caught up with the team from Let the Wrong One In which is a new comedy horror from director and writer Connor McMahon um, whose background is in indie sh horror shorts and comedy horrors and, and mm. micro budget features so the film is about a young supermarket worker um, who discovers that his older brother is a vampire casually enough as you do and he um, has to choose whether to help him or slay him um, and not in the kind of work slay like actually <laughs> um, so I hope you guys enjoy it and I will uh, chat to you on the next episode Jerry nice one Nave. thank you so much see you soon bye If you're part of the regular Irish Film London audience or want to get more from your experience, consider joining our growing family of members for a range of exciting benefits. Irish Film London is a non-for-profit organisation. Our mission is to promote the best new Irish film to audiences all over the UK and with the help of this podcast, the world. If you become a festival friend or a festival champion, you get perks like discounted tickets for films and events, free access to Irish Film from Home films, and invites to networking events, and so much more. So check it out now. Hello and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast for our Friday the 13th episode. I am welcoming writer and director of Let the Wrong One In, Conor McMahon, and his lead vamp, Deco, played by Owen Duffy. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd love to start with you, Connor, and where Let the Wrong One In was born. I know your background is mainly in horror and and uh, horror comedies like Stitches and Dead Meat and From the Dark, starring Eve Algar, which we've who we've also had on here as well. Sure. Um, so when was Let the Wrong One In born, and where did kind of the inspiration come from? Um, there was two things. Like I, I always thought 
it would be funny to have an a Dublin vampire, um, you know, with a Dublin accent. Uh, that that sort of that character was in my head for a while, and I guess the idea that Bram Stoker was from Dublin and um, it kind of felt that there should be an Irish vampire film, you know. Um, so I didn't really have an idea of what the storyline would be. Um, and then one day I was like, I always get my best ideas when I'm going on a plane, like a plane journey. So I was like on a flight to New York and I suddenly got the idea. And uh, so it was basically the idea that it was set over a day and it would be a vampire film where the vampire can't leave the house because it's daytime, you know? So instead of it being a vampire where he's outside at nighttime, it was like, oh, what if it's set over a day and he's stuck in a house? Um, and I think that, like it was, so from that just concept, it was, it, it, I wrote the first draft in about a week or two, you know? Um, so yeah, that's how it started. It does, it feels very, um, I was going to say wrong, which is, yeah, I guess is the word I'm looking for to, yeah, to, to watch rushed. a vampire, <laughs> to watch a vampire film during the day. It's so bright and it feels so disorientating. You're like, oh God, this feels so strange. Um, but that's what's so great about it, um, that it feels very like wrongly placed. And then that's what just makes it so funny. Um, and then, Owen, I guess, what was your kind of introduction to um, Let the Wrong One In? How did uh, how did that kind of casting come come about? Well, I mean, I don't know, like you probably know already, but this was going on years. So our first audition um, was actually just for a proof of concept that Connor was doing. So back then I just started acting, so I didn't even know what a proof of concept was. <laughs> so I remember I saw the ad go up and, um, and I mean this with respect to everyone, but comedy at that level, when you're just starting now, tens, you, you, you never, back then when I was reading scripts that were comedy, I wasn't bursting out laughing at them. Like it was a very particular comedy. It wasn't at a level that maybe you'd see on TV and be like cracking up. Mm. But I got, I remember reading that uh, script and I was like, this is hilarious. And even the concept of it, I just thought it was gas because I love that kind of contradiction as well of the, the kind of a Dublin vampire and anything that kind of is very authentic, the Dublin. Mm-hmm. It just obviously speaks to me because I'm from Dublin, but I think as Irish people, anything that's authentically Irish does make you go, authentically, am I saying it right? Authentically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that sounds wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like a thing where I just felt that Dublin and Irish come from it. And then I was like, oh, this, I hope this is good. And then when I read the script, I was like, oh God, this is great. Mm. And again, I was, I was starting off, so I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I know a good script when I see one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. But I just was like, I'll take is... what I can. I'll take whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's on a napkin. I'll do it right. But but I was like, okay, I'll just go in. I I have a family who kind of are ads and stuff. So I was like, what's a proof of concept? And they were telling me, and I was like, all right, I'll go in anyway. So I went in, and yeah, like. I, I'm going to say this so it doesn't sound like I'm fucking blowing smoke up my arse here. I honestly didn't do much for it. I was like, because, and this is probably a compliment to Connor's writing as well. I kind of just knew who Deco was in a way. It was weird. Mm. Like, it was just kind of going, this, this guy is just stupid. He's, he doesn't know where he's after getting himself into. And at the time, and Connor will probably tell you, it was two best friends. It wasn't brothers. Right. So I went into that audition, not, doing loads of work on it just kind of going oh I'll go in like it's a proof of concept it'll give me practice it will it will do um it will do good just to get in a room and of audition room and, and, and a lot of it was improv and 
so I just went in with that and as yes so I just stopped keep going but that was the intro at least yeah just a proof of, proof of concept like yeah that's so interesting so Connor was the proof of concept was it just going to be a short then and then just over time it kind of grew into a feature so yeah I mean I kind of decided that um I wanted to show people the kind film it was going to be like so if they read the script they'd understand I guess the humor of it um uh and even probably for myself like you know just to get a sense of the tone of it um and I mean it, it ended up being great because I when you do a concept you don't necessarily intend to find the actors that you're going to use but I suppose for comedy I, I thought it was important because it's you want to show the comedy at, like you know if, if if a proof of concept is for a comedy and it's not funny it's not very useful to you you know so we we spent a lot of time trying to get the other actor and actually like Owen said um it was originally two best friends and we were like looking at loads of people Owen was reading off like loads of people and we couldn't find that dynamic and then uh um, Michael Lavelle our DOP he suggested Carl came along and, and I saw him and he was like he's like this guy is like he was 15 at the time I think or 14 six, six, 16 he was yeah oh my god but he looked about he looked about 12 really young and I was like oh man he's totally wrong but it's like I'm not going to send him home he came all the way in so let's just let him read and and then the minute the two guys read together I was just like oh my god like it's so it's so good it was something about having someone younger and more innocent that wasn't present mm. in the other thing. And also the fact that it was family, it made it, it's like that thing with family. You can be, you can have harder arguments, but you're still connected. It's mm. much harder to get rid of someone if they're in your family. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's so much easier to walk away from a friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. And I, I really love that he's that little bit younger as well, because it really kind of gives him somewhere to grow to for the, yeah. for the, for the end of the film, which is really, really cool. Um, you got the Anthony Head, who is just top class, um, along with some amazing other performances in it with Hilda Fane, David Pierce, Mary Murray. But how did Anthony come on board? Um, and then how did the rest of the cast kind of fall into place? Um, well, I think it was that thing where, I mean, once somebody mentioned his name as a, you know, possibility, it's like, well, it has to be him, you know, mm. it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, like, let's try and get him. And oh, Brad, um, Brad Pitt was busy at the time. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony's got the, you know, he's got the history. Um, I mean, I thought he wouldn't be into it. You know, the way when someone's known for, yeah, and he hadn't done any other vampire stuff really since Buffy. Um, but I like that, like, he's very proud of Buffy, and he's like, he really like will. He's not. He won't. He'll talk about it. Do you know what I mean? He's happy to to chat about it. But there is that thing where it's like. You have to do the phone call with Anthony. It's like, come into the office tomorrow at two o'clock. Uh, and it's almost like you feel under this pressure. It's like, he's going to say yes or no based on this phone call. And yeah. it's, like, it's like, don't mention Buffy. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I'm going to say, you know. Um, but like, we ended up having a, like a good chat. And uh, then afterwards, he, he said yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that was that was the process, and I, I mean, he 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 really liked the script, you know, mm-hmm. as well. So that was nice. Um, no, he was he was perfectly placed, very iconic as well with the uh, with the history of of his vampire world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect because originally the, the, the it was written that um, 
you know, when when the guy, the doctor arrives, you aren't supposed to know in the original script that he's a vampire killer. But once it was Anthony Ted, like, well, there goes that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and just between that then and and uh, Carl's character originally being a friend, how long? Um, I just think it's always really interesting to ask people that like their different processes working. How many drafts do you think that you went through until you like were ready with your your shoot and draft, or did it even change throughout the shoot? Oh yeah, like it changed a lot, and and uh, but not like what well, like not majorly. Like the core of it was always the same. Um, I think. Uh, like we had a lot of time, like Owen and Carl, like rehearsing and sort of doing some improv and like, you know, so th- it was more kind of me absorbing sort of my environment. Like I might be on the bus or something and I'd hear a line of dialogue or I'd hear s- people talking and I, oh, that, that'd be a perfect line to put in the script. Um, so it was more like that, like tweaking little lines. And and I think then one of the big changes was because we had this we were shut down like a week before a day before we were about to start filming so we got this extra six months um to uh, before we were going to shoot so I had this time to kind of as well um just rewrite the script and because we had all the locations I was like like so the biggest change I would say is Anthony's character they used to they bopped him on the head and kind of stuck him out in the shed and I was thinking, I don't, I can't remember how it came about, but it would be better to put him in with the two guys rather than put him out on his own in the shed. And I think some of the fun stuff was the three of them all stuck in the front room. That, just that, like, people have asked me, like, oh, what was your favorite day? Or what was, and that day where it was the three of us in that living room and we were just bouncing off each other. It was the funnest day ever. And it actually is one of my favorite little sections of the film is just... I don't know what it was. It was such a difference, Connor, wasn't it? When he was just sitting in between us and he was so open to having the crack that like yeah, we were yeah, Im- yeah. improv and lines and like <laughs> we were saying mad things to him and he just take it in and come back with something. And, and and obviously you can only use some of it for the film, but that day there was just so much crack in that room and he was just well up for it. And I went, oh, yeah, definitely one of my... Um, yeah, because it, it really made like like the, the idea that he wasn't there originally is kind of like, God, I'm glad we, you know, I'm glad we were postponed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, the postponed thing, like, and yeah, for those that don't know, it was COVID, obviously, but like, I don't know if it was, a maybe it was a day before you went in for prep, but I remember for me, it feels like it was like five, six days or something. And I remember I was like, okay, we're shooting in six days and then that. Yeah. What, what was it? Leo came on saying, "Okay, we're going into," it. and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And I thought that could have been gone again. I was very naive originally, um, of how much and work and how many um factors it takes to actually get a film made and to get it over the line or even to get onto a set. And after that, when you shoot, it still might not make it, you know. And I think I was definitely naive to that. And I remember when they when. Uh, when Leo came on and said, look, we're closing down and Connor messages going, look, that's that's us. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not happening in a week. And I remember hearing all those podcasts or interviews mm-hmm. I'd heard of people going, yeah, it never made it over the line. And I was like, oh, this is one of them. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, this is how it happens. So the fact yeah. that we actually got to do it that's six months. It is very impressive because it can yeah. be, I like, I mean, I can only imagine, and I'm sure it happened with, as you said, own loads of projects of, you know, keeping up the the drive for it or other things falling, you know, falling away throughout the, while it was on hold. And then was there anything that was compensated, Connor? It seemed no, like Carl, you were able to keep everything. Carl, Carl just turned into a man. 
That was like the biggest worry. <laughs> that was the biggest worry through the whole process was um like I over the years because down well, to I mean, puberty. Carl was so young, but then he started like doing weights and fucking up, and I was like, oh. yeah, he, was a, he was a fucking he was a fridge when he came in. <laughs> yeah. like, oh. oh, here we go! Like you know, yeah. And then, and then he was getting braces on his own and stuff, and it was like, come on, like so. It was like <laughs> Carl was my big concern, like you know. I mean, what was the the carnage that unfolds? in the house is just off the charts so <laughs> what talk to me about the location because i've what whose is or where is the this house that just kind of got absolutely ruined with what? blood and doors smashed and windows people being thrown out the windows and connor connor's the most laid-back man on the planet okay so a week before we start shooting we lose the location <laughs> so we don't have Stop. a house and connor's like Oh yeah, we don't have that now. Yeah, or was that? Sorry, am I mixing that up? Was that the the warehouse we didn't have? But you lost the location, and he was just so calm about it. It was hilarious. I was panicking myself. Yeah, you see, experience has taught me. Um, <laughs> what's my phrase? I tell myself. Um, you know, accept everything as if you had chosen it. I say mm. to myself. But, oh, um, look at that. <laughs> uh, but it's basically it's like. Um, Okay, I'll I'll tell you, yeah, because this is how the house came about, which is interesting. Like I knew from previous film that I'd done is like if you get a house and the um like we, we rented a house once for another film and we were trying to throw blood everywhere, but everyone was like, No, you can't, oh you can't mess this up. And you, you know, we had to shoot around it. And I was I was compromising the blood splatter for the sake of the house owners, you know, or we had uh, or it was like there was in that film, like someone had to get vomit in the sink. And then for continuity, we had to leave it there. But the people who own the house would come back in the evening and they just see a load of fake vomit in their sink and they think we were animals, you know? And uh, I was like, I'm not going through that process again. Um, so whatever house we use has to be a house that it's, you know, it's just free, uh, free for all, you know? I want to be able to throw blood wherever I want it or whatever. Um, so weirdly, like me and Michael, the DOP, we just decided to drive around Dublin one day. And I like, I mean, it seems like madness. It's like, we just said, let's go out and try and find the house. And, um, and so we just driving around and there was, there was a row of houses and we were like, oh, that looks like a nice bunch of houses there. And we got out of the car. And then literally a guy I had met at a party two days later was walking past at the exact same time and walked up into one of the houses, the next door of this house. And we were like, oh, who owns this house? Like, and he was like, oh, my, my, I think it was his uncle or something lived in there or whatever. And so it, it just got us talking with the neighbors and, and, and we were looking through the letterbox and this house, the one we used, looked like it was completely abandoned um, and there was, there was no one in it. So we were like, that is perfect. Like, you know, so we did a lot of like, we had to tile the kitchen and paint it up and fix a couple of things, but it was a house that was going to be sold. So there's no one living in it. So it was oh, just like, perfect. Okay, yeah. yeah, it was like perfect. We trash it. <laughs> <laughs> Except the one, the one part was when the guy and David Pierce comes in with looking for his rabbit and he's a baseball bat and he just starts <laughs> smashing the door. And I was like, like yeah he kind of like he kind of improved his bit and he just starts smashing the door with a baseball bat and connor's like cook, cook, cook. <laughs> got a little amazing. bit too in character there <laughs> yeah yeah he was brilliant 
I mean, it goes without saying that there's just so many hilarious moments in it. Um, And one one thing for me, it's a really small moment, but Owen, it's where you go to open the blind to show Carl that it it hurts you. But I honestly think no matter how many times we open and close the same blind, we'll always pull it the wrong way on the Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually loved that you noticed that because I loved that little bit as well. It was like he chose to put it down and it hits him first. Always, always. Yeah, it's yeah. like a USB. For some reason, we always put it in three times. I don't know why. Um, yeah. But how did you find, like, how did you get through some of the stuff without laughing? I mean, even just the puking, the blood all yeah. over Matt's face, like, the, how did you get through some of the stuff? Was there a lot of kind of stop and yeah, start or was it, it just like... It was hard because, um, again, it was like kind of my first and, and Carl's first kind of big gig. and, and mm. uh, But we were on such a time. Like, like you think about what we had to do then. So we were already going, OK, with the budget. I remember Connor telling me, he's like, I'm already ambitious with this budget. And now we have to take in all COVID measures. We have to get tested. We have to get sanitized, all this. So like that took mm. so much of the budget. So <laughs> what was it like, Connor? It was hectic on the set. Like it was literally like setting up scenes, like three different scenes at once and then shooting one and then running. To them. Like it was it was crazy. But because of that, the pressure not to like <laughs> just keep yeah. laughing. Yeah. I think in fairness, we did well. There was only one day where you had to reshoot because you were like, we never got that in the end because you two kept laughing. That was the it bunny. was one day with the write-off. It was about half a day of worthless <laughs> material because <laughs> it's just like everyone just got a fit of the giggles that day. And it's it's just, just like, it's the worst feel. It's like that that feeling when you're in class and like you're not or when you're in mass or something and you're just not supposed to yeah, laugh. If you're not supposed you just, to, it just funnier. gets worse and worse. And like for the first few, you know, for the first while it's it's kind of funny. And then you're looking around and you see like the boom and the and everyone is just like yeah exactly <laughs> and, the, and, and that's oh, the God. feeling exactly they're like these actors think this is great crack like we're standing here stop you know what I mean uh-huh. so there was only that one day and I do remember I was like I need to stop laughing here but it was mm-hmm. just something about it and, and I don't know what but Connor or sorry yeah <laughs> Carl basically just has to kiss this bunny's head and for some reason <laughs> for some reason he did it so gentle and he's like it's okay buddy and for some reason I just Every time he did it, I burst out laughing, but the camera's right in my face. And at one point, like it got to like, I think take eight or something. And it, he just, he, he kissed it and he just looked at me and I just went, and I only laughed for a second. And then I looked at Connor. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I don't, I can't, like, can we shoot this? And he's like, it's okay, we got it. And then like a week later, I just see it on the schedule to shoot it again. I was like, oh shit. But, yeah, um, sometimes you're better away, just stepping away. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was, yeah, there was so many funny bits and, yeah, because we were on such a tight schedule, it mm. actually, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it actually, it didn't get, leave a lot of space to to be casually laughing, if you mm-hmm. want to put, put a better word. Like, you, you did have to go, right, I need to get this because we need to move on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there was many moments where it was just like, how the fuck are we going to do this? Yeah, I think it probably as well, because there was, like you say, like, even, you know, that scene, like, where you used to spray the blood and stuff, there was something like where technically we probably had two goes at it. Yeah. And it was like almost was more stressful than funny it's like you know the blood like, thing the blood yeah. thing I, I i remember actually feeling stress over 
this is going to be gas. Like, it was a bit funny at the start. And then when we went to do it, I was like, oh, shit, we have to get this. Mm-hmm. And then we did it twice, I think. Yeah. And yeah. then when we said we got it, like, then I just burst out laughing because Carlos was covered in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was literally covered in blood for, like, six weeks. I'm not joking, or five weeks. It was hilarious. <laughs> I feel like I'd have to, like, look, over, you know, kind of over the head kind of thing to not yeah. see, like, look at the, uh, the other. And, Connie, you were saying there that you had you were able to have a bit of rehearsal with um, Owen and Carl beforehand, which is quite rare for, for films, which is great. So was that kind of because you knew the schedule would be so tight that you wouldn't be able to play as much, you know, like on set and you kind of wanted to have that all done and really know where you were, where you were going? Um, it was a mixture of two things. I think it's like because we did the promo, like I'm talking three years earlier, I was like every so often we just meet up and like because I'd be writing the script and I kind of get the two lads together, you know, and we just sort of, you know, uh, you know, improv a couple of little bits and pieces. So and then what really helped was because often the problem with rehearsal is um, you don't you can't really block stuff if you don't know what the location is. But because we were shot down a day before, it meant we had all our locations Mm. so we could block stuff with the locations in mind if you know what I mean um or like we were going to the house like in the yeah. run-up to the thing as well and we were like trying to shoot as much like I have a version almost of the film being acted out by sometimes the two lads sometimes me sometimes friends sometimes like I I, I kind of shot a very rough version just um in terms of because like the the blocking and stuff is another thing I realized it's very hard to when you're under the pressure of the set it's very hard to have the time to come up with that stuff mm. so um I kind of wanted the blocking was sort of important to me especially for the comedy um and so and I guess I just, there's another fights as well yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah and all that stuff so um I yeah. wonder I wonder Connor if we didn't have that uh time to rehearse like could we have actually pulled it off the way it is now like probably not because you literally blocked out as you said you blocked out each scene. You almost had each, like, angle, each movement. Like, you almost had that already in your head just from the the rehearsing that we did. I don't know if we would have been able to do it in that to- time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, the, the, even as well with the rehearsing, I think for me anyway, and me and uh, Carl, it gave us a chance to actually get to know each other. Mm. And, and, like, sometimes you go onto a film and you're like, oh, he's playing your best mate, and you just met that day. So, like, we went in as brothers then by the time we got to the film like we knew each other so well especially in that scenario let's say so if it made it a lot easier for us too so the rehearsal time I think me and you have talked about Connor was like it was a bit of a blessing getting pushed in mm. the end because we just got to know the, each other know the story Connor got to know the block and the story even more and that was another great thing that you did Connor and hats off to you I was like we would do uh, those rehearsals and we, we do a lot of improv and the more we got to know each other, the better the improv w- probably got. But then you'd come in to do another rehearsal and like what we did in, two days ago was in the script now. And, and that just, that gave such a freedom for us, especially for me anyway. And I know Carl felt the same was like, you felt kind of part of the story then as sorry, part of the um, process of this story. And like, You'd be you'd be way more open to give Connor like an idea and and he'd shut it down if he had to, but he'd also go, Oh yeah, cool. And you felt comfortable that you could go in really open-minded creatively and go, Oh, I'm gonna try this, 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 and this. And that's where all like some of the best stuff ended up coming from because you were open to just not being so precious to it, you know. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, if someone can improve my dialogue, you know, I'm always open. To it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Connor, was there any um, inspiration from other horrors or comedy horrors throughout? And I could be way off the mark, but I feel like there was like a little mini uh, the shining moment through the door frame at one point. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that. That's a definite <laughs> moment. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yes, yeah. because another thing sometimes there can be a few kind of little golden eggs laid kind of throughout the film. So I was just wondering, was there any more of those? Yeah, because there's even like there's a low angle before that as well of where he's banging on the door, which is the same shot of Jack Nicholson as well as looking through. So mm-hmm. there's, I mean, there's probably a lot as well of like just stuff subconsciously absorbed like by like I mean Evil Dead 2 is one of my favorite horror movies and like there's an element of style just in it you know mm-hmm. that, that some of the camera work and stuff like that um uh in terms of very specific ones god I know there is like I know there's there's lots pulled from so many horror movies but I I I struggle at the moment to think they're all mashed in together. Yeah, and I'm sure with your other films as well, there's just kind of loads of them that kind of is thrown out there. Yeah, yeah. Mostly it's shots, like mostly it's camera Mm. work, you know. Mm -hmm. And Owen, what was your biggest, what did you find the most challenging in this project? Um, Again, and and this is definitely a credit to to Connor's writing, is that like it was kind of obvious who the characters were. and who Deco was, I kind of just felt like I knew straight away and like, and without getting too heavy, but like he's an addict. And unfortunately that's obviously a very relatable thing in, in Ireland and in Dublin and just growing up here. That's kind of your, that's kind of your research essentially. Um, but with, with Deco, the, the biggest thing, and I wouldn't even say it was massively difficult, but it was definitely something I was very aware of was how do I make him likable? Mm. Because, He's he's an awful prick. Like like the stuff he's doing, and the the how he's manipulative towards Carl or to Matt, sorry, and and his family, and very manipulative to everyone, really, just to get his own way. And again, unfortunately, that that can be characteristics of someone who's struggling with addiction. Is, is they need to get their way somehow, so they 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 show these qualities. So if you read the script, you go on paper, this guy's. You'd, you'd hate him he's been a hor- he's horrible you know so that was something I was aware of but then through the writing and then through the rehearsal and through all that it was more just going the stupider he is he seems to be more like <laughs> so it was like how do we play off that and then mm. it was already in the script but then with the with the improv then we were able to kind of go oh god yeah you can see his innocence as in he's being very manipulative but he almost doesn't even really know he is like mm-hmm. he's he's just so innocent and someone who's struggling so definitely to make him likable was in my head but Connor had already kind of tackled that I think in the writing and then the improv kind of and the rehearsing got us past that pretty quick but difficult no like I, like I think it was just it was just so much fun and again it's credit to Connor being so open that you felt part of it so I didn't feel too pressured if mm. I got something wrong we'd talk it out and we'd try to do it a different way I didn't again comedy is something I really enjoy and I do kind of have a bit of a knack for it in the sense of that I don't feel like really scared to try things in, in terms of comedy so yeah I, I didn't feel I didn't feel anything was too hard it was it's just a lot of fun to be honest mm. yeah 
And Connor, what about you? I know you've you've obviously you've worked on a lot of horrors and comedy horrors that I'm sure you've learned loads on those projects that you bring into to your next one. Is there anything in this one that you'll bring on to your next project that you learned? Yeah, I think for me, like what I was trying to bring to this that I, that I hadn't like every film you do, you kind of go, mm, what 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 did I miss on that last one that I can work on on this one? And like one of the things I really wanted to bring to this one was to ha have the film have a bit of heart and have a bit of um and something I guess personal you know a personal aspect and like for me the core of the film that I was always holding on to was the idea that um you know like a person can have all these manipulative people in their life and at some point you know for a while you can be blaming them you know, like um, like the vampires to me were kind of selfish. They were just representative of different selfish kind of narcissistic type people. And if you kind and they're always going to be the same kind, you know, they're 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 not really going to change. Mm. Um, and some and and it's very easy to blame them, but at some point, and and the character learns this is like you realize it's your own fault to some degree. You know, like there's a bit where. Anthony's saying to Carl, you know, he's like, you know, you or you let him in, you did. And it's like in that moment, he's kind of like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's not them. It's me. It's like I've got the choice or you have the power to, to say no. And that was the heart of the film to me. And it's like I've never. um, And, and I had that revelation in my own life, you know, where I was like, oh, my God. And it was so it was important to me to put that in the movie, you know, you're always trying to, and I hadn't really done it before is like, okay, is there something I've learned from life that I can kind of share, but in a, you know, you always try and hide it behind the fun and everything like that. So mm -hmm. um, that's something I felt, um, gave the film a little bit more heart, you know, I, yeah. I guess a personal, adding a personal dimension, you know? Oh, definitely. I think like the family, aspect and the kind I mean like you can't pick your family but it, you know it doesn't matter they're always there and and uh, they always kind of will be on top you know priority wise and stuff like that I think was uh, really gave it heart because like that it's so easy I imagine it could be so easy to do films like that and as you say like there's no heart in it do you know what I mean and you're kind of like well why are we here if, you know we're just kind of laughing at nothing you know um, so I yeah. really loved loved that uh, aspect of it. But we also we need to talk about your makeup and special effects team because there was some really really impressive stuff in there. So Connor, do you try and work with kind of the same crew, or are you always on the lookout for new talent? Or um, well, yeah, a bit of both. Like, what's sometimes you don't have a choice. Like, what was so difficult was in at Ireland at that time, everyone was like super busy. Like, mm. it was almost like I was there making a vampire film, and I could not find a model maker for like it was it was crazy. So our sort of workaround, like um, Madonna, who was doing makeup on the film, like she does makeup, but she also does some special effects and she's into horror and that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of crossover between um, makeup and special effects. Like she, she built the fake heart at the end and, um, and stuff like that. So, and some of the prosthetic stuff. And then um, we did another guy, Rory, who was um, more like a stop motion animator, you know? So he knew how to, you know, make models and he would have done the skull and the, and the, the melting skull face and 
there's some stop motion. It was like an Indiana Jones kind of effects when the person in the shed gets hit by light. And so it was, it was quite a small team in terms of doing our special effects. Um, and then we had another team, I guess it would have been uh, in the industry a while, but they were doing like, like the blood spray. So they were the kind of, it, it broke up into that. There was one team just dedicated to blood spraying. I was always excited when I saw them arriving <laughs> on set, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, so so that was it. And and a lot of it was kind of um, like, with I, I mean, I really like doing practical effects, but also we always tried to do an effect a different way, like each time. Like, for example, there was that scene, remember Owen, where basically the idea was that uh, when he's burnt, he gets burnt by the sun and he get, drinks some blood and he's transformed human again. And, and we had done versions oh, where, yeah. you know, it was going to be a CGI transform effect. But then we were like, there's something funnier about like, I mean, we literally had a double who was covered in blood. So you didn't recognize him. And like he popped down out of the shot and then we had to pull him out and own slide in and then own popped up. They so literally, was- they literally had like, they were holding your man by the legs. <laughs> and then like, he just went down out of frame and then they just dragged him out and then I slid in and then just sat up. But like, the, like that stuff when we cut that and then we'd all huddle, huddle, like huddle around the camera and we, or the, the monitor and we'd watch it we're like holy shit that looks gas and then we go right it worked so it was lovely it was great to see little like they seem so silly when describing it and then you'd look at the monitor and go fucking hell that's pretty mm. that's pretty good but sometimes it is better to do as much as you can you know like real life in that kind of way because I yeah. think you know sometimes you can really only do so much unless you have an insane budget of kind of special effects, you know, in post, you, you really are better off trying to do as much as you can on the day in the moment. Yeah, you said that, Connor. I remember you saying that you're better off trying to do it in the moment mm. first and then rely on that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like you can like, I mean, there's a bit of CGI in there, but it's like you, you kind of if you lean too heavily on it, mm. there's something there's something just about it. Like, like I never really like CGI blood. Like it, it, it's almost like it's too perfect or it never, it, it never kind of splatters. Um, there's something always, um, not that it goes wrong, but unexpected. There's always something mm-hmm. unexpected happens when you do it for real, you know? Um, or, or like Carl's, you know, when the blood's been sprayed in his face and he's like, telling you like, fuck off. <laughs> like, you know, like it's almost for real. Like his yeah. performance is being held by the blood splashing in his face. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would feel, I imagine it would feel very strange, you know, just pretending, mad pretending, acting. But, you know, <laughs> like, if you can do it there and then, like, absolutely go for it. And I think yeah, that was yeah. the main one where I was just like, that's why I was so impressed by it. I was just like, how did Owen not just break out laughing <laughs> doing that? I just thought oh, it was no. so, so funny. Um. Yeah. And Connor, you've also done some TV directing for No Worries If Not and Darklands and stuff like that. Is it weird? Is it kind of weird and restricting to work on things that are a bit more kind of contained? Or is it also quite nice to work on stuff that isn't necessarily your baby all the time? Um, yeah, like, I mean, TV is fun. Um, like, what's what was good about TV, because I worked on Republic of Tally as well for a couple of years. And there was something nice about like shooting so much like with a film you you know it's like with this like I don't know four years or something where there was something nice about 
in TV, you could get an idea, write the script, and it's on telly next week. You mm. know, you know. So there was, and you could experiment, and it was it was very quick, like you know. But there's definitely there's something special about being able to do your own movie. Um, and I think there's something about the feature film as well that I that I just really enjoy as as a kind of format. So, um, and I suppose it's like you're really, like I said, you're making something personal and stuff. So the 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 TV stuff is great like you know and it's been I, I I really appreciate that I got to do like a show like that or like no worries if not and working with those kind of com- up and coming comedians um but yeah it's 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 usually for somebody else you know what mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's it's, it's I guess um, different pressures maybe because w- one can be quite nice when it's not necessarily you know the pressure on yourself but then also it's kind of you've got maybe a lot of other voices as well that can be kind of pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, like, I suppose in a way, like, I mean, sketches and stuff, they are like little mini movies. So I always think of them as sort of practice or you always learn something, you know, that you can mm. kind of bring to, to something else. Um, like I've done one or two commercials as well, like in the last year. And like, I find that's, almost closer to filmmaking in a way just because you spend that bit more time like what 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 I often what's missed on tv sometimes is you never have enough time to like light something or you know it tends to be very rushed like you know or you have a comedian for half a day and it's like we've got five sketches to shoot and it's all very like you know um just get it in the can Mm. you know um whereas I suppose commercials is a bit more time taken to how something looks I mean it's one area I just I enjoy having that bit more time to, to light it or, or to, you know, the, that visual aspect, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's not necessary for like, what did someone say? No one ever won an award for, uh, you know, lighting a comedy, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, the, or the best quote is like, someone was saying like the DOP for comedy was taking ages and the director was saying, it's not getting any funnier. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you definitely have to look at what, um, what can take a back seat on uh, on different things, especially yeah. when you're with money and and timing and all that. Um. So, what is what does the journey look like for uh, Let the Rogwood In? Where can people expect to see it or see it or um? What's the what's the journey for it? Well, I guess the most recent one now is it will be hitting Irish cinemas on the twentieth of January. So that's exciting. So that's been a. It's definitely been a long journey to get here. Cause, I like, was just going to say, yeah, kind of. Pre- and when you shot it, sorry, I wanted to ask when you shot it, was it kind of when restrictions just started lifting or did you have to wait another good while or what What was what did that gap look like? And then I'm sure loads of your funding probably went on tests and, and all that kind of stuff as well. But when when did the shooting happen then after? Yeah, well, like we were the first production to go out Um after the lockdown so you know there was that added sort of pressure you know that we were making it up do you know what yeah, I mean? to show that like, it can work it, like it was all, yeah it was all being sort of um kind of put together and 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 i guess if we had it got shut down it might have had implications on the next productions that were lining up and um so there was always like this cloud hovering over you um, and in a way, that's what delayed as well, because cinemas took a while to recover. And it was like very like, you know, everyone's a bit cautious. And even when the film was finished, it's like, uh, you, you know, it, it, it definitely took us 
a, a, a longer than we expected to kind of get here. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. We you did it. You Yay. did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I always love asking my guests um, at the end of the interviews uh, if they have a favorite Irish film, as we are Irish Film London, and if they have a film that's impacted their life in any sort of way. So like that could be an inspirational one or it could be a comfort film that you always go back to or it could be a traumatic one that you'll never look at again uh i know mine is hereditary in that sense um but uh owen what about you uh, i'll start with you on this um slowly panicking in my head here now uh <laughs> no the first when you said irish film the first thing that comes to my head um is probably the commitments mm. i, I kind of grew up uh watching that and that was very rewatchable as kids as well so two sisters and they'd be belting out all the uh all the tunes and i'd be on the drums so like um probably the commitments um and then things like the snapper and stuff mm. do you know what more recent probably well that's not recent now which is, is intermission i that is that is so underrated for me like because it was shot so kind of i think that was very low budget as well that film is a classic i only watched it recently with a mate of mine and we were in tears laughing at it um that's probably my Irish films I'd say the commitments probably tops them because that's mm-hmm. just I watched that a lot as a kid you know yeah oh it's um, iconic what was the other question just if you have another film that maybe not your favorite one I guess well you could say your favorite one but or just one that's like really inspired you maybe acting wise or is just over your always your favorite that you go back to or oh um you know what? I always find that question hard when someone goes, uh, what's your favourite film ever? It's hard to like separate the genres. Yeah. So since we're on comedy, I'll stick to comedy. I grew yeah. up, uh, I grew up a massive fan of Jim Carrey um, and Robin Williams. And I do actually remember seeing films like Ace Ventura and uh, do you remember Jumanji with Robin Williams? So like, I remember <laughs> watching those films and then actually going into the garden and like just acting out the whole thing <laughs> but I, I, I not, not realizing what I was actually doing was acting but just going outside and just reenacting all of what I saw mm. so I, I start remember, I actually have a, I have a terrible memory and I have one memory of being in the cinema seeing Ace Ventura so the fact that I remember that must have been something but I do I do think I took a lot of my humor and and let's say reenactments or storytelling stuff was definitely all coming from like the physical comedy of like Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I feel like a bit of the commitments vibe here going, here are your influences. (laughs) 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 Connor, what about you? Um, Well, since Owen hoovered up all the Irish films there. (laughs) um, (laughs) um, No, but I have to say my one is probably in the name of the father. Um, Like, I was even listening recently to um, Sinead O'Connor's track, um, Thief of My Heart. I think it's the, I think Bono wrote it. It's, it's the end track of it. Um, and when I, I, I just heard that song. It just, I just remembered that scene at the end with Daniel Day-Lewis when he's like, when they're all oh, like, it's um, being free. Such a powerful moment. And like, yeah. I, even, I, I, I remember as well, like, um, like when I was in, back in school, there was it must have been on telly that night or something but whatever the next day like um it was just this mass thing where a load of people started lighting fucking paper and uh lighting paper and throwing them out the window and it was like Giuseppe's dead man just <laughs> dead. like you know and it, it was like but it was I, whenever I watch that film I think it's just, and, and just that 
I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis and Pete Postlewaite, like together in those scenes, they're just, it's just this mix of like humor and and it's so sad and it's like, mm. oh, but those scenes with the two of those guys are, are just, just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great film. That's a, a great choice, really good choice. choice. And what about yeah? Because in fairness, though, Connor, like the like the horror comedy genre is quite niche. So how did you know that you kind of wanted to get into the that side of things? Um, I think it's it probably all goes back to Evil Dead too. Like, yeah. like I remember seeing that movie when I I I watched I rented two films. I think I was fifteen or something, and it was like Evil Dead two and Desperado, uh, the Robert Rodriguez movie. And, oh, um, yeah. but I think Evil Dead 2, it was just like, it was almost, you know, that feeling where it's like, oh, oh, you're allowed to do that. You, mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it just opened up this possibility. And then I saw the Peter Jackson's early stuff, uh, Brain Dead and Bad Taste. And I think all those movies, it was just like, something went off in my head when I saw them. Cause it was this mixture of, um, it wasn't just the gore it was like the comedy mixed with like camera work like you know it, it was like horror allowed the camera like you couldn't do that in a drama you know you couldn't have the camera mm. flying around the place or it, it, it sort of allows you to do this more dramatic style um that seemed you know and i think there's something about the horror comedy that just allows you to you know you can you're using special effects makeup it's like mad camera work the you know, it, it it's like all aspects are heightened uh, of filmmaking, you know. Um so but I've always thought horror and comedy are very close, really related. Like I I, I didn't notice it till I had to direct something like like Darklands drama or something, because you realize there's just like like a like comedy has to be funny or a, a scare has to work, mm. or it's very obvious that it doesn't. Um but I don't know drama you've got a greater latitude to fail <laughs> like yeah. you know what I mean like you know there's, there's whereas um you have to be a bit more precise so uh yeah but but um I think yeah those early films like like it probably all goes back to Evil Dead in some ways or like mm. uh, like it, some of my early short films in a weird way I was laughing I was going like I'm making the same film like I could pull scenes from my early shorts and it's it's just not Anthony Head it's just my brother <laughs> running around with a mallet and you know somebody else and it's like like my mother was trying to sell her house recently and it was still blood splattered up on the ceiling and it was like <laughs> I better get to clean that like 15 years later like or whatever <laughs> Well, you absolutely nailed that niche genre in Let the Wrong One In um, and congratulations to you both. And I would urge everyone to go and see it when it comes out in cinema. And thank you both so much for coming on to chat to me and best luck with this and with all of your future projects. And hopefully we will see you very soon. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that's it for this week's interview. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you to Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme. Myself and Jerry will be back in a fortnight with a brand new interview. See you then.